Welcome to another episode of War Stories. I'm Tom. And I'm Chuck. And uh, I'm looking forward to today's episode. We've got uh, we've got a, the highest ranking firefighter we've ever had on. We have a fire chief. But uh, <laughs> there's David right there. How are you, sir? I'm fine. <laughs> but you uh, wouldn't even let me call him, sir. I know. No, that's inappropriate. Well, I, I called him chief, and he said, "He said, please call me David." And I said, "Well, now that you've given me permission, I just, I was, you know, my dad raised me. Yeah. If you reach the rank of chief, then you're chief for the for life." Well, yeah, that's, that, that sets you on a pedestal above the people that work for a living. <laughs> well, right. you know, I wish more chiefs felt like that. So uh, we had some uh, emails, Chuck, though. We were going to get to, uh, however, I don't think we'll have time this episode. So I wanted probably not. Uh, to mention to you guys, um, we've got some emails, um, Chuck, which, which ones uh, so- did we have on deck? Well, I, I have Josh Brown. Um, like we have his email and then mm-hmm. uh, I believe it's Jacob um, mm-hmm. about his grandfather. Mm-hmm. And he basically told us once to tell us to tell his story. And that uh, I thought was pretty cool. So we'll save that for another uh, episode. Yeah, it's a pretty cool email story. But it. I think between answering the email question and uh, telling Jacob's uh, uh, or Josh's uh, grandfather story. Um, We'll have to save that for a short stories episode here coming up pretty quick. But uh, for yeah. now, we're going to to get into the 40 years of firefighting. <laughs> is that how many how many actual years is it, David, total? Top to bottom, 48. 48 Whoa. years of firefighting. Not only is this the higher, highest ranking person we've had on this show in, in fire, uh, and and law enforcement um mm-hmm. if you were to we've never had a chief of law enforcement on but that right. i think this scared. is the <laughs> the single handly person that has the most time in service ever that yeah. we ever most had on the time. show yep I, I, and it's, we've it's had people career career military i mean and and we've had guys that have had a career in the military and then had a career in law enforcement and if you combine the time sure but as far as one single career from wow. front to back that's that's uh, that is our longest serving. So how did you 48 years ago or even longer now? Cause you've been retired. How long? Just a couple of years. So uh, how did you end up getting becoming a firefighter in the first place? Uh, that's a loaded question. I, I was only seven when I started, by the way. <laughs> yeah. You look great. Yeah. <laughs> well, believe it or not, I was about that age when I was exposed to the volunteer fire service. And the story goes, I had a great uncle that lived in a small town in northern Minnesota, population about 500. And I think his uh, response area was three, 4,000 square miles. Wow. So he was the only game. And he was also the, he was the go-to guy in town. And uh, one day he woke up and some of his buddies and uh, they had a fire and it went to the ground. So they started a volunteer fire department and uh, their first one. (laughs) Yeah. What the hell? Why not? You don't have a, you know, sit around the table, drink coffee and okay, I guess we need a fire department. Here we are. 
Wow. So uh, Glenn was the charter chief of the department. And he also, the, the we would visit him frequently. And uh, he owned the only uh, only grocery store in town, dry goods. He was a butcher by trade. And if I was really good, I could go down to the fire station after the store closed. Nice. So I mind, uh, I was well behaved. But uncle was the type that he would, uh, I remember standing on the front seat of a 40 something tanker truck and he let me push the siren. That's from the days way before electronic. That was the growler. There was a button on the dash and you thumbed it. Did you have to hold it down? Yeah. (laughs) This was pre pre growler. This was really. Oh, wow. Really primitive. So if you let go, it would just turn, it turns off. It would stop. Yeah. Oh, wow. So anyways, long story short, that was my first exposure to it. And as I uh, got older, I asked uncle a question, why? And he says, you got to give something back to the community. And that was his way. Uh, and he did it all. He had, uh, you know, the fire, his uh, car was the uh, EMS. He was a highly trained medical guy. He had advanced first aid. So if you needed EMS, you called uh, you called the store. Wow. The grocery store was the PSAP. If you needed him, you just called in, and Aunt would uh, uh, write the uh, address down. Uncle would run two blocks to the fire station, blow the whistle, and uh, blow the uh, the siren. So that was. Uh, Okay, so let, we can stop there, and all of a sudden, I, 1973, and I'm working in Pennsylvania in the private sector. And uh, we lived rural outside of Pittsburgh, and uh, there was a fire station that said, help wanted. Well, wow, you don't see that every day. Really? <laughs> fire station <laughs> with a help wanted sign. Help wanted sign. That is well, wild. The, the operative word was volunteer. Uh-oh. Oh, got it. So I went down there, and the next thing I know, uh, I'm going to the uh, Allegheny County Fire Academy. And it's been downhill since. And how old were you? I mean, 22. seven when you started. Okay, so 22 when you went to the fire academy. Yeah, 22. And this was, you'd been familiar with it, but this was your first exposure to doing this it. Is, this is the real world. Right. Wow. And... Uh, I spent time in Pennsylvania. My private sector job transferred me back to Minnesota, where I'm from. And I spent eight years back there, and then they uh, transferred me again out here to Royal Grandy. And I spent 25 with them, and then six years with the merge department. So they got 31 years out of me. Wow. And, and the last 10 years, I did that for a living. Okay. Wow. Answers my question. I was going to say, was all of that volunteer, or did no. you actually go full-time at some point? Which was I, the last 10 years. Yeah, the last okay. 10 years. So how did the equipment like, change to between when you started and when you... There's no comparison. What, what the, was the equipment like back yeah, when you were using a grocery store right. as dispatch and running down the oh. street? What was that equipment like? Well, they... Uh, I don't know how many... Let's say they had uh, 20 guys. Mm-hmm. Well, they only had 10 jackets and 10 helmets, so they had to swap them. Were they the leather helmets? Leather helmets, rubber coats. Wow. Wow. 
and when I start some sort of fire retardant oh hell no like no it just power broils you how do you go into a building yeah you just get cooked and when I when I started in (laughs) like a tamale uh, wild yeah when I started in uh, Pittsburgh I had a plastic helmet and a rubber coat wow and that was the technology of the times wow now we didn't move into nomex until the late late 70s so i was on the back end of it but you go into a working fire and you would come out and you would a lot of guys had burns on their backs you had no liner in the coat wow uh the helmets would come out and you might see it on tv now as a relic with a melted helmet yeah yeah, i've seen pictures of melted helmets yeah that is that is and, true dedication to service because even though you know you're like we were going to burn when we go in we just yeah. hope that this rubber coat helps us not burn a lot and yeah. you know you're yeah. going to get burned and you still do it anyways that's crazy yeah awesome I, dedication to service. I, I can recall coming out of uh some kind of fire and uh first thing that happens your coat comes out and you get hit with a spray of water to cool you down uh okay wow. so you come out and they know just hit you with the water yeah it's just part of the it was part of the deal it was a technology of the times now did the uh, rubber ever melt i never saw that okay so it's pretty high temperature it's it, it was thick heavy as hell heavy okay. as all get out and uh you know that was that was the deal now as i went to the allegheny county fire academy we were the first class to come out with breathing apparatus training. Oh, wow. They didn't have it, didn't use the tanks until then. Wow. And the tanks were 40-ish pounds, all steel. And you had maybe 20 minutes with perfect breathing. Ooh. And heavy, you know, 40 pounds. The ones we got now are a composite of maybe 15, 10, 15 pounds. I don't even know. You, you know what that reminds me of? That 40 pound tank reminds me of my dad's old um, uh, deep sea diving tank. Same thing. Huge. Same thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. Exact same thing. Only you don't have the water to help keep the weight. Right. Yeah. Offset the weight, make you weight. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Boy. It, uh... So, rubber coat and, and maybe a 40 pound steel cylinder on your back. Well, we and had a plastic helmet. We had only two. The breathing apparatus was very, very expensive. I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars. Now there may be fifteen hundred, two thousand. These were double and triple that, so you, you you couldn't afford that many, right? And they were in a suitcase. You had to go through a process to open the suitcase, get it on. You know, now we've got them hanging on the rigs, and you're in them in seconds, right? And, you know, that, that was the start of it, that I was on the front edge of, you put a BA on for anything that's smoking from a garbage can to a, you know, full-blown working structure fire. Prior to that, it was leather lungs, just breathe it in and suck it up and move on. Well, fire guys are dropping dead at 55 and, and uh, 60. Yeah. And now we're living way longer. And that was one of the reasons. True smoke it's eaters. Breezy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Like when they call you guys smoke eaters, that's why. Like those that are the is guys. Why. And, and then, 
I want to say something for the listeners that I've been in a burning working structure fire Mm because I couldn't leave because I had Mm -hmm. a suspect in there that was armed and we had fire over the top of us shooting in water and then outside on an aerial shooting in water into the room and it was engulfed. And I got to tell you, just, just the smoke was so hard to see, so hard to breathe. And these men were going in with plastic suits and no SB, SBA or SB with the, the breathing SBCA. apparatus, SBCA. And they're going in and working for what, 20, 30 minutes, 15 minutes at a time. And, and, you know, exhausting themselves. That must've made for some really, really hard, hard men. And I got to say to be able to do that and to be able to see and actually work in that, that is just mind boggling because that smoke is so hard and it hurts your lungs so bad. Yeah. And I've put, I've put on SCBAs for meth labs, right? I've done the whole, it's the same, same apparatus. You put them on for meth labs and I can't imagine because I've, I've been at fires and had to help the fire department, you know, when they didn't have enough resources yet and I'm, you know, pulling things and dragging things and pointing wet stuff at the red stuff and doing whatever I can and the smoke and it gets, and I'm just in my, you know, I'm in my blues. So I can't imagine when I, if you combine those two things, if you combine where I was at and have to go into that building and then wearing the SCBA, like that in and of itself does, it it does not sound pleasant to me. I guess that's why I got in the police Academy line and not the fire Academy line, (laughs) but to hear you talk about, just going in with nothing but a plastic helmet, a rubber coat and your guts like that's, you know, it, it reminds me. And, you know, my dad, you're friends with him of him talking about going after, you know, entire gangs wearing nothing but a pair of handcuffs, a nightstick and a revolver. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, we, it was a technology of the times. And we. Uh, many of my colleagues in my age group will complain about it by comparison to what's happening today oh, and wow. the gear the guys have, well, it's just a natural evolution. Yeah. Right. You know, it just, just makes sense. And uh, like my dad always said, you know, who, if I would complain about it, who held a gun to your head? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's let's, a word let's, volunteer in volunteer fire department. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's move on. You know, that's, you know, that is but the, yeah, what I, you know, the, What's happened over the years in, in the area of safety for the fire guy is something bigger than exponentially improved. You know, when I got off the tailboard, got off the business end, and even when I was in the, uh, in the office, those guys are pretty much encapsulated. Right. You know, from the inside out, you wear three layers of, uh, cotton clothing. You, have a wonderful bunker coat with a liner in it you've got a shroud over your head you've got a legitimate helmet that's that's gonna save you from falling stuff and uh won't melt on you and and breathing apparatus today that's just automatic in my day you know back in the beginning it was a thought you know maybe i should and uh, if you did you can be sure you're going to get uh get hazed by the old timers. Oh, that was, yeah. that was automatic. Yeah. And I, that, as a high, that, I, I, I can imagine. Yeah. Now again, it's just the way it went, but the, uh, between training has, uh, increased big time. The safety gear has increased the focus on safety. 
And what we're seeing is the line of duty deaths, the, the traumatic line of duty deaths. Right. I, I did a little searching today. In 86, the 113 firefighters were killed. And 2019, it was 62. Wow. Cut it in half. Yeah, it's wow. better than 50% drop. Now, That's impressive. What, what has happened since then is we've got, uh, we found out that a lot of those carcinogens have uh, leached into the, uh, into our systems. And now we're looking at cancer as a, uh, is also classified as a line of duty death. Right. Um, hmm. Hodgkin's lymphoma comes to mind, uh, bladder cancer, and they pretty well zeroed that in on our choice of careers. And uh, again, is that just because of the the percentage rate of firefighters coming down with things like that versus anybody who's in a different profession? There's no way to deny the correlation. I don't know how they uh, came up with that, but it came out of the uh, National Fire Administration. That is. You know, th- their job is to research and they've been looking at it for a long time and they've finally said, yeah, there's a link between the, the stuff we absorb. Why not breathe it? But it goes up through the skin. Yeah, you know, I, I think it was 50 percent of or no, 75 percent of LAPD's original drug lab team all came down with cancer and 50 percent of their wives came down with cancer just from bringing it home, like on their clothes, on their uh-huh. skin, on their hands. So what I was going to tag up with is I've seen an uptick in cancer in law enforcement mm-hmm. exponentially, like where it was one year and I saw so many friends and colleagues just start coming down with cancer. I'm like, holy crap. And then I actually talked to someone who has cancer and has been battling it for, for years and still works every day. And he was saying that he was on a team that went into a building. It was a meth lab. And every part of that team is now dead. And yeah. he's the only survivor left. Mm-hmm. And I, in the Hodgkin's, is it non-Hodgkin's lymphoma or Hodgkin's lymphoma? Non, I've seen so many, yeah. non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I've seen so many coppers come down with that. And I'm like, well, this is, this is crazy. Like there's gotta be a correlation in law enforcement. And then there's yeah. obviously there is. And then, cause there is in, in, in fire and oftentimes the cops are helping fire department with scene security, major wildfires, brush fires, things like that. And even sometimes being in these buildings and they're still getting it into their system because it's just, it, it, it's, it's just going to happen. You know? Well, and David, do you think like, I, I was thinking about if the firefighters were dying young from just the damage done from smoke inhalation and all that kind of thing, you know, if you're dying at 55, 60, 65, now, because their the survival rate's going up, they're actually able to develop other issues health wise that before they did they never developed those issues because it killed them too soon. Is that kind of how that is is ending up working? That could make sense. Hmm. So now, when you okay. were wearing the rubber coat and yep. the plastic helmet, what did you give me an example of a call where you would do the same thing? as what you know firefighters do now but you're doing it with 12 percent oh, of the gear barn, barn fire okay i just got a flashback we had a barn fire and we went in with the uh, hose reel not an inch and a half the cloth jacketed this was the garden hose that trucks used engines used to have <laughs> okay you know, yeah 
I remember. Uh, <laughs> I literally had the tiny gauge. Like, yeah. Like a, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen pictures. I never actually worked with a, a truck that had that. Look, at technology of the times, I got to be, I'm sure. not being critical. It's just statement of fact. That's yeah, it is what, it is. what we had. Now, today I'd go in with my body armor, you know, complete turnout gear from head to toe and a, and a BA and probably an inch and three quarter to a two and a half inch nozzle. Wow. You know, big fire. in the barn. Oh yeah. Yeah. Fully big engulfed. fire. Big big fire. Uh, you know, big holes. Right. That's a tactic. Big fire, big holes. Wow. Uh today we would probably uh, not let anybody go in. You know, we'd make the size up and a lot of times you do a defense defensive uh attack on the fire. You know, it's got a technical term. It's called surrounded drown. Mm-hmm. But in no way in heck do you uh, send somebody into a building that's, you know, barn full of hay. Nobody in there. So what was the what was the thought back then about sending people in? Was it just, well, we got to put it out. That's it. That's it. When and I guess when I'm were... on the. Yeah. Oh, go, go, go ahead. For it. No, no, no. Continue. As I said earlier, I'm on the front edge of the new training. Mm-hmm. I might have been the third or fourth class out of the uh, Allegheny County Academy. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, you'd show up, you'd get a rubber coat and come on along. And, but you the know, OJT, OJ, wow. OJT, yeah. That's but now they're teaching us to think, to size up. Makes sense. And you'd hear the thing you hear in the uh, military. You don't there you don't throw live bodies after dead ones. No. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you've got a building that's ripping and you don't think you have a chance of putting it out or there's no reason to don't do it. Right. Sit on the outside and put it out. You don't need to send people in. Um, when you were seven yeah. and that, uh, volunteer fire department was created, mm-hmm. <clears throat> did you ever see, uh, or not let me back, not did you ever see, but was the equipment that was used to put out fires like the hoses, were they using hoses or was it yeah. like part hoses? And then, hey, if we they, can get some buckets on it and, and bail some water, yeah, you didn't have no. a bucket brigade, <laughs> no, no, this okay. was uh, they, they they were as contemporary as they could be, you know, they didn't have enough money to buy uh, uh, coats and helmets for everybody, but they had plenty of hose, they had a tanker because they had to uh, move water. Mm-hmm. I think the tanker might have been an old dairy truck. Wow. That they got and cleaned out and now, painted it red and called it good. Yeah, call it good. Now you go to the same department today and what my uncle created and what it is today isn't even close. Right. It's got maybe four engines, got a rescue squad, it does uh it's got a couple ambulances, it's got a snowmobile. Uh, oh, for, wow. uh, with a bubble on it for, uh, you know, winter rescues. And it's just, you know, I've, I've been in the new station and I, you know, if uncle could see this, how far it's come and, you know, since 1949. So now were you on the, you're talking about you were on the transition from, uh, training and equipment, you know, becoming, it, what it is or, or starting down the path to become what yeah. it is now. Yep. Were you also on that pivot point where 
firefighting also started to encompass um, medical services. Absolutely. Because I know yep. early on that was not a thing, right? I mean, it, maybe you can yeah. explain kind of how that came law about. Enforcement, law enforcement had it. Right. LAPD to this right. day, a little trivia for the listeners. If you look at the only patch worn by LA, LAPD doesn't wear shoulder patches except for traffic. Traffic officers wear shoulder patches on their uniforms. They have a little green plus sign in the middle of it. And that's just a holdover from the days where the yep. LAPD cops actually drove the ambulances yep. and responded with the ambulances because it was their, a law enforcement responsibility. Yeah. And they just never changed the patch. So that's that's your trivia about LAPD running ambulances back in the day. But you were there for the transition when the cops gave it up, right? Yep. Yes, indeed. So how did that all come? Like, was it just firefighters going, man, we need to go full time. We got to figure out something else to do. <laughs> It uh, it just happened. We were, uh, as an industry, we were getting more and more calls to back up the police ambulance, you know, extra hands. And all of a sudden, we became advanced first aiders. And then your big cities like L.A. got in the paramedic business. Remember emergency? Oh, yeah. Engine 51, Squad 51. Yep. Every Sunday after or Saturday afternoon on Cozy TV from three to three to six, you can watch old old shows. Gage and DeSoto, man. Gage and DeSoto. I tell you what, that show was so real. Really? Absolutely. There's not a lot of Hollywood in that. Well, there's a lot of the producers. So the if people don't know this, the same production company that made Adam Twelve yep. and Dragnet made yep. Emergency. So yep. they took the same care to make it real with emergency that they did for yep. Adam 12 and for Dragnet, which is why I think that show is so beloved and much the same way Adam 12 created for my generation, a bunch of people that wanted to become police officers. Yep. Emergency created a bunch of people that wanted to become firefighters. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Adam 12 and Dragnet were very, very realistic. Also it Dixie. Was, oh Yeah. Dixie yeah. at Rampart. I mean, let's just talk about Dixie at Rampart. You know, yeah, yeah. Jack Webb was the best. Yeah, he was. He he did a really good job with what he whatever he touched when it came to public safety, and he had a genuine love for yes. police and firefighters. And I think that's why he took so much care with those shows. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyways, the you know emergency started it. There were cities on the East Coast that started it, and pretty soon it. Uh, Another thing was happening. Building codes were starting to be standardized. And that's okay. the time. And that's the time when we saw the number of working structure fires start to decline. Really? Yeah. Sprinklers, uh, you know, in built, uh, commercials, built in sprinkler systems started to become economically made sense. And, uh, so that's how they just, the industry just happened into the EMS field. I didn't even think about the fact that when building code standardization started to include sprinklers, the mandating of sprinkler systems and, and smoke alarms and all that kind of stuff, Yep. how that would change. But it makes sense to me now that, I, that you say it. And, you know, then from, uh, you know, the EMS business, uh, EMTs were created. You know, paramedics like Gage and DeSoto had about 
if I'm not mistaken, about 1,500 hours of training. EMT had about 10% of that. Mm-hmm. You know, they could not do the, uh, they couldn't shock, they couldn't administer drugs, they couldn't administer an IV, but they had a level of training that could get somebody stabilized and get them to the hospital in a hurry. Right. Mm-hmm. And now, if you want to be a fire guy, a fire person, firefighter, uh, when you walk in the door, you better have an EMT behind your name before they'll even look at an application. Hmm. Minimum. Paramedic is even better, but that's just, that's what we do now. You know, and uh, shortly after, uh, you know, I talked about the carcinogens and those kind of things that we were starting to discover. At the same time, we discovered uh, hazmat. Oh. Yeah. So EMS hazmat got put on our didn't get put on our plate. We took it on because the the uh, industry was very deficient. There was a hole, and they chose you to fill it. And we we filled it, and uh, you know, from hazmat, it went to uh, like urban search and rescue. Mm-hmm. Never thought of that before. And I've been sitting back and watching all this from the sidelines and being part of it, and. It's amazing how sophisticated they are now. Well, even the they incident were, command system. Yeah, that came out of here. That came out of California. And that yep. was started to be taught at a national level in the mid to late 70s. And came now, out, of, out of out of fire scope. Go ahead, uh, Chuck. Now the, the ICS system um, is encompassing with newer officers. Uh, it's been for the last few decade or even before they um, are teaching hazmat now. And when you go through um, and not the Academy, but after and you have follow on training and they teach you the incident command system and they teach you hazmat, you even get a book that, and it's a full like week long of hazmat training and you get a book and it, it yeah. tells you to buy smoke color, things like this. Yeah. And, and I think that is such invaluable training, the way we've been evolving with fire and police, with with training for yeah. life-saving measures, uh, hazmat, and things like that. It, it's just, it's it's uh, crazy that it it's, it it's a new thing, you know, relatively new. Um, but it's it's amazing that now you have more people that are learning all of this stuff oh. so they can take control of the whole situation because that ICS system actually really works. Mm-hmm. You're one of the first law enforcement that I've heard that from. Really? Yeah. I had to learn basic. I had the basic hazmat MSDS and ICS in the Academy. That was 2002. So, um, you know, you figure it's, it took a while. It took, and, and, you know, you, you know, my father, he ended up because of his position at the department, he was at becoming entrenched in ICS and emergency management. And what did you call it? You didn't say emergency management. What did you call it? So called it, it's emergency leadership. Right. You know, you can't manage, manage an emergency. <laughs> no, you lead your staff. Right. And watch that to have emergency management, that those two words to go away in the not too distant future. Interesting. I can see it. Yeah, I know. The crazy thing is that I'm actually huh, FEMA certified uh, and trained in Seaburn and in hazmat and stuff like that. Good for you. Yeah. They taught us the rule of thumb. If you can't, if, if, if you, can cover the incident up with your thumb you're the right distance away but if yeah. you can't if you, can, if you put your thumb up and you can still see the incident you're too close 
there's another thing you can do too, and this is especially poignant for law enforcement. Donut. Oh. Hold okay. the hold the donut up and look through the donut hole and if you if you can still see it, you're too close. Well, all our cops can do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> we all we all keep donuts. So when uh, it comes to when it comes to your the old school way, right? Yeah. Um if can you kind of give us an example of the typical calls or, or, or not maybe, maybe not typical sort of an atypical where um, the Holy crap, you can't make this stuff up moments that come prior to the changeover when you guys were still, you know, playing it loose, fast and loose with the, with the plastic helmets and, and the rubber coats, because I'm curious to see just how cowboy you guys got back when you were still, you know, rolling the oh. fires with a Dalmatian and a, and a pump hand pump. Yeah. It, uh, you would, we would jump off the rig before it stopped. Okay. Okay. And it was like the cartoons, your feet would be, uh, you know, your feet, you'd be in error <laughs> and you, right. And, uh, and you just go, you wouldn't, there was no plan. There was no discussion. It was just figure it out as you went along. And uh, consequently, you've got 113 deaths in a mm-hmm. year. And that's just stupid. Nowadays, you don't get off a rig until you hear the air air brake set. You stay put until you, your captain tells you what to do. Mm-hmm. And it's not somebody get me an axe. Hey, Dave, get me an axe. In the old days, it was somebody get me an axe. And now you're given a, a specific person, given a specific task. Hey, right. Dave, get an inch and a half nozzle. Or pull the inch and a half line. Pull a jump line. Pull whatever. Personal the responsibility old, rather than general responsibility. There was no responsibility. You just, <laughs> okay. you just grabbed and did what you, what you thought was right. And, uh, like I said, it, it's well organized today, well trained, well disciplined. You know, you would, uh, if you're coming on a second alarm, maybe you would just run up to the fire scene and do something. Well, now you, your captain would check in with a staging officer. There comes incident command working it and you would have an assignment. Mm-hmm. And the holy crap moment is a house. This is a real story, a house fire that I went to in the eighties. And this is the first time I've seen a house surrounded in fire. Went through the walls, through the ceiling, down the other wall, through the basement. It was just, it was amazing. It was all between the walls. And it was, it just, like I said, it was amazing. But that was fire was in the walls. All of the, all, the all, walls interior. all four, all four walls interior. You can see a lot of smoke coming from the outside. I don't recall seeing flames, but that was one where we called in a uh, mutual aid. And again, mm-hmm. this goes to training. Now, mutual aid companies all train together. We speak the same language. We have the same equipment. Training is comparable. The ICS system is uh, there's there's not a lot of room for uh, freelancing. Mm-hmm. 
you know, if you're on a second alarm, your officer will check in with a staging officer. You'll go to a staging area and they, and you'll get your assignment from there. And it'll be a very specific assignment. Well, this, this was just out of control. It was a all day fire. Okay. And eight or nine hours on a single family residence. Give me a break. Really? Eight really? or nine? Really? Now, what, why? Why, yeah. why so many hours on one? We were competing. It was okay. in my town. We called mutual aid. The mutual aid company came in and they had their own agenda. Ugh. Like when you open a roof and flames come out and people are inside fighting the fire, you do not put a nozzle in that hole and try to put it out because the, the interior guys are pushing that fire out of that hole. Right. You're leaving the house of gases. Well, I mean, they put, they, they pushed a fire back on top of itself. And out of, I've, out of just their procedure was messed up and, or how, yeah. what was, okay. Yes. Yeah. Poorly trained, forgot what they were trained. At, you know, it's common knowledge. Right. That you don't do that. Uh, and they uh, decided this was not a big, this was a small hose fire. This was an inch and a half just because it's, you can move, move it better than a deuce, two and a half inch. Well, I'm in the uh, kitchen because it breached the wall and I'm putting the white stuff on the red stuff. And there were two of my friends. Next thing you know, we all got knocked over like bowling pins. Somebody on the outside decided to use their two and a half inch nozzle with a straight stream. Oh. Oh. I mean, one of the guys that took his mask, he took it full on and it turned it. Wow. Knocked his helmet off. I got, and, and, uh, you know, it was almost like the volunteers of the 1700s. That was almost fisticuffs. <laughs> I can, I, yeah, I'd be pretty pissed. That's the one that I could do damage to your skin if you're not if it hits you on bare skin it uh oh by the way this was on new year's day in minnesota so think oh. about the climate jeez those yeah. water freezing as soon as it hits the ground oh, oh before oh before now the i'm going to divert and come back to that fire the best way to keep warm is spray yourself with a, a layer of water it put a layer of ice on you really well think about it yeah how about how about the eskimos and igloos sure that makes sense yeah uh, ice is one of the best insulators in the world so you get off the engine you go stand by a leaky uh fitting spray the ice on you bend your arm so it could crack and move and then you were set for the day you're good to go wow oh my gosh yeah it's wild uh, Instead of Nomex, you're wearing an ice suit. Yeah. And that was uh, just the beginning of liners in the Nomex. Where it was rubber line, then you had a quilted. So we were warm. And when you do firefighting back there, you carry an extra set of gloves and an extra set of socks. And if you keep your hands in your socks uh, dry and warm, you're good. Wow. But yeah, this was a. The training improved after that. <laughs> I, I can imagine it would have to. Yeah, it was. You know that that's a holy, you know, shit moment. <laughs> yeah. You right. know? 
And uh, that was also one that I, uh, this is the funny one, kind of, I put out a mirror. <laughs> okay. And I was sent up into the attic with uh, a partner, colleague, got to the top of this, the crawl space, and I could feel my back was a little warm, but, you know, the house was on fire, so looked yeah. in front of me, and in the distance, I saw the fire, I saw the flames. So I opened the nozzle on it, didn't go out. And what the hell's going on? Oh, my, my partner's on you. Yeah. My partner tapped me and he says, turn around. Oh, it was behind me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, those are the funny ones. It was a disastrous day, but stuff like that. Right. Happened and it, and it was a good comedic relief. Yeah, one of my one of my close friends. It's it's amazing the stuff we can laugh about. He talked about carrying a, a three hundred pound man out of a fire who was badly burned, and when he dumped him off of his shoulders, a, a, he was covered in the guy's skin. You know, and he like we laughed about it. I mean, but h- how do you not like? How do you survive this career if you don't develop a warped and twisted sense of humor? Or twisted and black, right? Yep. Yeah, I was just I was talking with my wife about this the other day and I was like when you're in the military you're in type of a job where like first responder where you see really bad things you make light of a bad situation by cracking a joke because it's easier to cope with that stuff while you're joking about it than dealing with it straight on and so that's where you see a lot of military guys and you see a lot of firefighters and police where they have like a dark sense of humor you're like wow you're kind of messed up but you're like well no because we've seen some of the nastiest things and some of the most horrible, horrific things, but it's easier to cope when you're making jokes and you're cracking right. things and you're laughing a little bit because you're dealing with a really crappy situation. Yeah. And I, I don't want to hear you judge the way I deal with it until you've had to try and deal with it yourself. Right. You know, it's yeah. Yeah, still walking my shoes. Right. I mean, walking my shoes. You've never. David and I talked on the phone about picking people up in pieces, you know, like you, when, when, when somebody dies in a, in a manner in, you know, whether it's, and let me tell you, jumping off a building won't necessarily do it, but a train certainly will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fans of the show know my, one of my favorite firefighter stories ever is our wood chipper story. When, when, when you need a tool and a bucket to, to con- collect what's left of a person. Um, I don't, un- unless you know what that's like, you know, you don't know how you're going to cope with it. Right. Well, you know, and that's another thing that in the business here, we've identified that PTSD is a real thing. And uh, the County fire chiefs here in San Luis, maybe 25 years ago, put a cadre of peer counselors together. And we go out mm-hmm. and listen. We d- try to diffuse the situation. Mm-hmm. And we had county mental health with us, and they would observe. Mm-hmm. And the rule was, is who we saw, what we heard, it stayed in the kitchen. So we had credibility. And it helps. I, I to get, sometimes get that. feel like firefighters have a leg up corporately, collectively, Um I I feel like firefighters do the peer support better than cops do. 
And I'm not sure what maybe the reason think- is, is what you guys do and the, and, and, and the, the nature of your job. Maybe I don't, I'm not sure, but I do feel like you guys have dialed peer support in better than law enforcement has. I I think what it is, is that firefighters had gotten, have gotten to it quicker and Maybe. they had started peer support counseling and, you know, peer support leadership way before police ever thought about it because the whole stigma was the same as the military. Well, PTSD is yeah. a thing. If you feel this way, you know, you're a pussy, you're just a pussy. whatever. Yeah, and indeed. I, I have seen, cause I'm a peer support counselor as well. Um, and I have been for the last five, six years. Um, you're about burned out, by the way. Yeah, and you're you're I, used, I, you're, cl- you're close to your use by date. Yeah, yeah, for and, your support. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you you know the stories that I've heard and things that I've I've dealt with other coppers on is, is is ridiculous, and we have the same thing where it's you know um, confidentiality. No one can can get that information from yeah. you because once they come speak to you, that that's it. Like it okay. goes no further unless it's criminal. Um, but we the the agency that I, I'm, I'm with has really made a big jump in the law enforcement thing, and it's so early and it's in its infant stages of peer support. Maybe within the last eight years, mm-hmm. it started and is now been jumping into other agencies trying to teach it. So I yeah. would definitely say yes, firefighters and and the fire industry have gotten it better because they started it earlier and have been able to evolve it and go through it. I just wish fire and police would communicate better when it comes to things like this, because it benefits both entities, especially when they work in the same city. I cannot tell you how many times you go and you speak with fire and they have different dispatch than the police dispatch. And it's two different lingos. And yeah, there's this big disconnect and they don't talk to each other, even though they work for the same city, which blows my mind. Deal with a lot of the same incidents, see a lot of exactly horror. Yeah, yeah no, David, no. something just occurred to me, and I, I want to get your thoughts on it because obviously I've never done it. It's never been a part of my career. But do you think that there's an element of being better at peer support due to cohabitation? Right. So, I see that. Yeah. Firefighters break bread together, they live together, they sleep together. So, being together 24 hours a day for three or four days on end, you. It's it is your second family in a in a much more intimate way than law enforcement is oh. your second family. You get to see when somebody's withdrawing when they're normally oh they're normally talkative during a movie but they're not this time. They're normally yeah. more than willing to make dinner but they're they're not hungry tonight. Do you think that's a a part of it? That's a, that's a that's a good observation. That's solid. And Chuck hit it on the head. The fire people have been seeing ugly things. Oh, I got to be careful how I say this. I'll piss off all the law enforcement. You can piss us off all you want. Go for it. (laughs) This is a show where we're dead honest. When we got in the EMS business and you're transporting someone that's gunshot wound, heart attack, dead, yeah, whatever. So we're spending 15 minutes with those folks or you're treating them. And the debrief starts on the way back. Sure but we've just been transporting people and seeing those kind of things and dealing close with them. And then w- with the, you know, living in the firehouse together, I think that we, we got off on, you know, we, we started whenever mid seventies 
that's damn near 50 years ago. So it's just, just different places. I think there's an element too of, you know, the, the nature of, I always used to joke with our firefighters, I'll put the holes in them and you plug the holes up, you yeah. know, <laughs> and, and there is an element of once this bad guy is in custody or the prop, the immediate threat has stopped. My job is done. Bad guy in cuffs, move on. There's another bad guy out there, but there's an element of aftercare to firefighting uh, where with both victims and suspects, you have to see things through a little bit more than we, we load them into the bus and they're gone. You know, the, the it, you talk to cops, oh, you got to go to the hospital and take a statement from a victim. They're like, Ugh. you know, <laughs> that we just don't, we, it's not, it's not something we're ready for or, or, or normally have to deal with. So I think there's also an element of the, the amount of time and care that firefighters have had to, by necessity of becoming involved in medical aids and whatnot. Ben, go ahead. No, I was just kidding. The amount of time they have to spend with these people keeps them maybe a little bit more in touch with, you know, every, everybody suffers and the, and the, and watching it and kind of going through it with the person. And, and, you know, as opposed to just, well, that person got the shit beat out of them by their husband and they're half dead and their eyes blowing shut and get him in the bus. I don't want to see him again. That's terrible. That's awful. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to focus on kicking the shit out of the guy that did it to him. And that'll make me feel better. And it goes to training too. That just came to mind. You know, in the Academy nowadays, that's part of the curriculum. Hmm. How to identify PTSD, how to cope with really? it, how to, yeah, yep. that's, that wasn't in my training. That's yep. amazing because it's, oh. it's not in law enforcement's training. Uh, unless spent, there's a cop who wants to tell us that they got that in the academy, I, I didn't get it. Uh, the academy you went to on the fire side, they've been doing it, I bet you, for 20 years. And wow. This is what I'm talking about, that law enforcement needs to talk with fire and learn because they have been, fire has been doing it for such a long time. And they need to start adopting things that have already been proven to work. And to identify certain things because it's a real issue now. And the only reason why I know what those signs are is because I've personally lost friends from it and seen mm -hmm. it firsthand and then learned right. through the military, hey, these are the signs of suicide. These are the signs of PTSD. And it was at the very end of my, my, my time while I was enlisted. And then you go to law enforcement and they teach you the first aid stuff and all that stuff, but they don't focus on that. And they, unless you go or are picked for peer support and things like that. Right. Then you, oh, then it's like, oh, extra training. Exactly. Everyone's just making it training. Right. Other, other, other duties as assigned. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it shouldn't be other that I, I can, I can remember the training we received on being involved in an officer involved shooting. Uh, and, and let's face it. I mean, firefighters aren't going to receive training on, how to, what's going to happen when they shoot somebody? Because the odds of, unless you're an arson investigator, yeah. the odds of that happening are slim and none and slim just left town. But when I think about maybe we should tell the, <laughs> tell the fire department to develop curriculum to teach in the academy for officer involved shootings, because what I was taught 
was by the range staff and by the drill instructors, by the DIs, by the tack officers. It was, hey, if you shoot somebody, they're going to take your gun because it's evidence. A good supervisor will give you his gun in return. Also, you have to make a public safety statement. But after that, get a lawyer and don't say shit. End of training. Right. That was your training for officer involved shootings. Basically. And there's so much more that's going to happen when you shoot somebody that they don't they don't tell you they don't explain to you and so it sounds like firefighters have early on seen hey you know performing cpr on a six-month-old baby i I saw what it did to my buddy bill when we got back to the station he was a wreck for three days you know and we we had to help him we had to talk to him we were there for him you know we, we we made spaghetti and had root beer floats and watched and sat in our recliners and you know like that's I guess that's a something that you guys by nature or by the by the by your job duties are better at. Just happens. Yeah, absolutely. I would it's part of the part of the culture. Right. Part of our DNA. Yeah. I think I think that's a big part of it. And to be fair, I've worked with some firefighters that are probably a little too sensitive and maybe shouldn't have been a firefighter. They should have been a chaplain. Um, you know, I remember a firefighter cutting down a teenage boy who had hung himself in his backyard. No, he, and he cut the rope and then covered him with a dirty blanket that he had found in the yard. So the parents didn't have to look at him. No. And that's it. That there's your evidence destruction. Exactly. And that's yeah. where we, you know, that's, I think that's where the, the, the rivalry continues to be stoked is by people that, and, and Hey, there's plenty of cops that shouldn't be cops. So don't even get me started on that one. Plenty. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, that's, I can understand him wanting to, but he has to think to the next level. You have to leave him. You, you, ass- yourself. you, you assume everything we were, we were taught back in the day that if you come on to a medical call, where there's a gunshot wound, even if it's, a, you, you see a part of a head gone away through a, you know, as a result of a suicide, you just back away until law enforcement shows up and let them t- tell you what to do. Right, because you don't right. know if that is a suicide or if that's a homicide. Right, exactly. And that was a non-negotiable standard. Period. End. That's what you did. Not you just backed away. Well, and to and by the same token, I would ask our firefighters, "Hey, I need you to tell me if I show up, if I get to a fire first, I need you to tell me what I am and and and, and am not allowed to do, because I don't want to do something." thinking I'm helping before you get there that ends up making your job harder because I, you know, broke the wrong thing or opened the wrong thing or put the wrong, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, with the exception of, Hey, there's a, there's someone in there screaming and I have the ability to run in and get them and run out. So that's all you do. Nothing else. Right. Yeah. So I, I get that part of it. I, I do understand that part of it. And, and I think to, to your point, that you guys made earlier about being part of the same, you know, again, we always say that we're not on the same team. We're all on the same side. We're, we're not rivals, but we act like it sometimes because we don't speak the same language or, or even though we should be speaking the same language, we're working at cross purposes. Sometimes. Are you aware that there's federal statute out there that says everybody in the nation talks clear text on the radio? Really? 
Huh. Well, it makes sense. Like it does. It's My department didn't, but it makes sense. And President right. Bush forty three signed it. So how long ago was that? Two presidents really? ago, three ago. Yeah, I we we never got the memo. <laughs> we yeah. were using ten code. It, it, people ignored it. Hmm. Made a statute. Wow. And it's something the fire went to in the early to mid eighties is clear text. Because LAPD has been using clear text for decades. Yeah, they have. Well, first of all, I've got, I've got limited bandwidth, so I don't can't remember 10 codes. (laughs) Right. But here's the thing. When it comes to mutual aid, if you're all speaking the same language, you all understand each other. But if you're speaking one language and they're speaking another, you can't communicate, even though they're going to understand clear text you know, clear way of speaking. But yep. if, once they start coming back with 10 codes, you're like, I have no idea what that is. No. But you understand yeah. me. And you're like, I don't, I don't know what a 10 code is. I don't know well, what that whole thing is. It's the very first fire I went to in California. I was on the department all of a week. And we also had a new chief at the same time. And I didn't have any, I didn't have a full complement of gear. So I didn't, uh, I attended and watched. And, uh, one of the officers got on scene and I'm listening to him on my radio and he hollered every 10 code made, I think. <laughs> and the chief and I, the chief, you know, 1023, 1040, 10 this, 10 that. And I looked at the chief and I says, and he looked at me or he looked at me and he says, do you know what he said? Not an idea. Next morning, the clear text memo came out. 10 codes are gone. Yes. <laughs> And then, <laughs> and, and what that did is that created a size up that went on the length of the fire, you know, really? in front of a two story, uh, single family dwelling. It's got a red roof on it, uh, rose bushes in front. The, the color is lemon yellow with white trim. And instead of saying, and it evolved into, you know, I'm, I'm at this, this address. I've got smoke showing. Everybody understands that. Sure. But the initial right. ones were so funny that they would. And really, they came out. I've got roses in the front yard and the color of the house. Then it went to. Uh, I've got a room and contents burning. No flames seen, but smoke. Everybody coming in. Under, everybody understands that. Sure. So we uh, years ago, the, the fire guys had done away with 10 codes, except one. 1144. Yeah. <laughs> and even some agencies don't, don't even use that. You know, I, my, my mother was a dispatcher for LAPD. She was actually trained by the woman who was the voice on Adam 12. If you could believe oh, that. Really cool. ago, by Sharon. And, uh, yeah, they just use awesome. DB, DB, dead body, DB. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and the Bearcat scanner, when that came out in the mid seventies, early seventies, to mid seventies, Holy mackerel, did we have people showing up? Oh, we'd have a street clogged ahead of a, all the neighbors had their bear cat on our frequency. Wow. And just, you know, and then if it was a dead one, if it came over as a, a dead one, you know, then they show up and want to see the, see the dead one. Yeah. Right. You know, you talk right. about messed up. People are weirdos. Rubber neck. I, I mean, I get right. it, but also like having done the job, I, I'm not, it, it's yeah. Well, hey, well I, David, we, we, Oh, go ahead. Well, I've been out of the business, but 
but I hear uh, CDF driving by the front of my house on Teft Avenue. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll look at my pulse point and see where it's at. And if it's nearby, it, more times than not, I want to go look, but then I, I have to, sh- you know, quiver, you know, right. why? Why? Anyways, we're coming to the end. I didn't think we could lie to each other for a full hour. No, we've been we've been doing a good job. Lying. We used to we used to say back in the day we'd say uh, uh, strong drinks and true lies is what we yep. we, we traded in. But oh, uh, I about, wanted to yeah. go ahead. I'm going to I'm going to do one more story. Sure, go ahead. Memorable fires. Uh huh. A garage fire. I and my uh, partner couldn't raise the garage, but the door, the big door, a couple of feet. So off with the BAs, slide underneath it, got the hose. We're doing our heroic thing. And we were looking for an exit. Well, it was an unpermitted garage, so there was no door. Ugh. And uh, anyways, uh, the, the chief noticed that right away, and the chainsaw come through, and he made, they made a door for us. So anyways, we, we run out of air in about 15 minutes. Fire's down. We go out. We're sitting on an engine. And the chief comes out and he says, Hey, you guys want to come in here and look at this? Well, we were fighting fire and cheating death. You drop a golf ball on the ground and it goes click, roll, roll, roll. Can you, can you hear that in your imagination? Oh, yeah. We were hearing that, but we didn't pay attention to it. What do you think it was? Oh, I don't even want to imagine. Bowling balls. Ugh. What were they doing? The guy, the owner apparently collected them. They were You're all lucky up they the, didn't come down on you. How they missed wow. my partner and I is beyond me. And when we left, well, because it was an unpermitted garage, the it probably had a five degree slope to one side. Oh, they bounced to our left and rolled away from us. <laughs> oh my gosh, lucky! And uh, what it was, it was a. Uh, Remember the gusset plates? You know what that is? Yeah. Those metal plates? For the joystick. The first ones came out weren't long enough. The teeth weren't long enough. Put heat to them and they popped out. The reason we couldn't get the door up is the all the, uh, the, the gusset joystick. plates had weakened and the, the, the roof had sunk. Okay. So we could, anyways, that, that's my. Uh, so the truss had sunk in the middle, which you couldn't get the garage door to go back because it was hitting the truss. Wow. And then yep. luckily you and your partner didn't get hit by a single one of those falling bowling balls. Because well, your fire I, helmet ain't going to protect you from that. Nothing's going to. That breaks your neck. Yeah. Wow. And in, in addition to that, he had books up there, heavy textbooks. And he got a, a severe talking to from the chief. Sounds like a tweaker garage. <sighs> Anyways, that's the, you asked me to come up with a memorable one. That's about as memorable that, as I come. That's, I mean, yeah, why, there's nothing like walking out of a place realizing how close you came to death without knowing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were sitting out on the engine having, uh, you know, rehab in those days was a cup of coffee and a smoke. Sure. You know, we were beat. It, it was oh, summertime, dude. so we were sitting out there and, and bragging how uh, wonderful we were. Yeah, you know, knocked <laughs> that one down. Yeah, yeah, you know, we'll, we showed them and. I'll have to send you a picture if you're interested, but uh, a friend of mine who, who shall remain nameless, he was on a fire and they thought they had found a victim in the fire. Uh, 
And for some reason, they they were they were amazed that this woman could survive this fire when she was dressed in lingerie and on all fours. But it turns out she is a testament to how hot silicone could get and not burn. Not burn. (laughs) (laughs) Because they had found a silicone love doll completely dressed up in lingerie, bent down on all fours on the bed. The room had been totally burned. And all she had was a little bit of smoke damage and a little bit of water damage. A little bit of simple green. Yeah, she's good as gold. We We had a call at a major like building like high rise that someone who was carrying a woman out because you could see the long hair wrapped mm-hmm. in like a blanket and they're like dead body yeah put in the trunk and then drove and the person followed to that person's house and and was advising over the radio well for dispatch rising or advising over the radio because it was a 911 call code three he's now carrying her into his house wrapped in a blanket Long story short, police get there, go into the house, handcuff everybody, and go into the back to find this woman who's unconscious, wrapped in a blanket, ends up being a full-blown $2,000 sex doll with long hair that he was, that he was taking from, I don't, I don't know, his office building, where he was storing it to his house and didn't want anybody to know. Yeah, too funny. Happens happens all too, the time sure too funny <laughs> well uh before all we right. get to david's yeah. dedication because i know you have somebody you'd like to dedicate the episode we have a dedication that chuck and i wanted to include uh, i was brought to we we had already discussed it but a listener asked us um to do this one as well so uh, i want to talk about troopers martin f mac and brandon t siska uh trooper mac was 33 and trooper siska was 29 they were dispatched to Interstate 95 near the sports stadium in South Philadelphia around 12.45 a.m. after receiving reports of a man later identified as 28-year-old Reyes Rivera Oliveras, who was walking in the southbound lanes of the freeway. As the troopers approached Oliveras to get him in their police cruiser, authorities say a female driver traveling at a high rate of speed attempted to drive past them but hit all three men just before 1 a.m. Uh... We're lucky. We're here today to mourn the loss of two of Pennsylvania's finest. Troopers Mack and Siska made the ultimate sacrifice this morning while assisting the citizen in need. These troopers personified our department's core values of honor, service, integrity, respect, trust, courage, and duty, according to Pennsylvania State Police Commissioner Robert Ivanchik. There's no greater act of selflessness. Mack enlisted as a trooper in 2014, and Siska uh, enlisted. February of last year, graduating last August. So uh, both men gave their lives just to help a guy walking down the freeway. So to uh, Troopers Mac and Siska, rest easy, brothers. We got it from here. Uh, Chief Chief David, uh, hey. please. Uh, hey. We'd like to hear your dedication as well. Wash your mouth out with soap. Oh, David. Sorry. Better. You're up. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, you can't even do that. <laughs> Well, you uh, want to dedicate this to my uncle Glenn that got me in the business and uh, kept me in it. And uh, until he died, I would text him or email him what was going on out here. And he was engaged right up to the end. And uh, he taught me about that giving back part. You know, we talk about paying forward. Back then it was called giving, giving, giving back. Right. And that's a, uh, 
that that's solid guidance. And also, uh, I lost two mutual aid co- colleagues in 1982. They went through the roof at a uh, terrible meat market fire and uh, trained with them, knew them, left behind some very young, young kids. And that impacted my, as I rose through the ranks, that was in the back of my mind whenever I had the, uh, whenever I was an incident commander, that was in the back of my mind. Not to make, I didn't want to make a notification. And I became known as a conservative incident commander. It changed the way you did things. Oh, big time. Big time. You're aggressive to a point, and as I mentioned earlier, if you thought you had a chance of putting it out, you'd do it. Well, that house ain't worth a whole lot. I've got guys that got family, so I, I changed my uh, my leadership. And some guys groused about it, but I didn't I had no injuries and no deaths on my watch. And uh, I like your and I like your phrase: "No sense sending live bodies after dead ones." That's a that's an old military thing. That's too simple. Yep. Mm-hmm. Way too simple. Okay. I'm good. Well, David, have, thank uh, you. Um, it, it, and before we get to the last thing, do you have, if you had one piece of advice from 48 years of firefighting, we have a lot of young guys, gals listen to the show that are getting into law enforcement firefighting. So to all the aspiring firefighters or brand new out of the Academy firefighters or earlier in their career firefighters that are still smart enough to listen to an old salty dog's advice. What would you tell them? Sit on your ass, listen, and keep your mouth shut. <laughs> it's such exactly great advice. Solid. <laughs> but you, you, uh, Yogi Bear said it. You learn a lot by listening. Yeah. Exactly. His was you see a lot by looking, so let's change it. Yeah. You learn a lot by listening. True. And don't presume what they teach you at the academy. That's academic. There's yeah. also the real world. Right. I've, I'm learning that flight school and the police academy are very similar. Uh, yeah, you get you get prepared for the regulations that the FAA requires you to know, but you want to actually learn to fly. You need to get behind the stick with a pilot. Yep. No, it. Uh, yeah, you. They will teach you fundamentals, and when you get your job, they will fine tune that. Yeah, they'll teach you how to do it. Yep. So. That well, makes Chuck, any what sense. Do you have? So. <clears throat> We still have some Wobby hoodies and we have a shirt and we have patches and stickers available. Go on to our website and also follow us on our Facebook at War Stories Official Podcast. That's at War Stories Official Podcast or follow us on our Instagram, war underscore stories underscore official. And you can always click the link in our bio on either of those socials. And um, you can have tabs to our website and the website is www.warstoriesofficial.com. It also has links to our YouTube channel, uh, the other podcast uh, areas. Yeah. and. Um, wealth of information but please support us and help us out by bring, being able to bring you great content and support us by going to our website um and looking at some of our gear and purchasing some of our gear we have a shirt we have a wooby hoodie uh, which has a genuine leather patch we have two patches and we have also two stickers and every order there is a surprise that goes out yeah. um and we will be coming out with some new gear soon, especially for spring and summertime. We have some stuff coming up and uh, we're really excited about it. So please support us by giving us a like and follow and a share. 
support us by going to war stories, follow us there, tell your friends about it, go to our and share uh, our episodes on your social media, share, share yeah. our episodes on your Facebook, your Instagram, tell your friends about us. We know a lot of guys are out there. I, I specifically drop all of our episodes at midnight 30 on Mondays and when on Thursdays, because I want our graveyard guys working the overnights, working the graveyard shift. They're, they're out there alone. They're out there, you know, with their car partners, they're out there trying to keep the, the sidewalks from rolling up on themselves. So I release it deliberately at midnight 30 so that they get to hear it first while they're, while they're out there uh, keeping the streets safe or, or trying to get some sleep at the station or coming back from a fire or working an overnight in the, in the ER, uh, you know, up in the barracks on a deployment, whatever it is, we want to make sure that you guys that are up all night get this first. So, so you can do us right. a favor by supporting us and by sharing those episodes. If you hear a story you like, send it to your friends. If you have a story you want to share, contact us at booking.warstories at gmail.com. Yeah, I was just going to say that. Yeah. Well, until our next episode, come home yeah. with your shield or on it. <laughs>